Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, this is Anna Francis Goss, and my cookbook is Heirloom Kitchen, Heritage Recipes and Family Stories from the Tables of Immigrant Women. I don't think we as Americans acknowledge enough how the cooking traditions of immigrant women have left a legacy on the American palate. Talk a bit about how you've cooked with grandmothers around the country to compile this cookbook. Yeah, I mean, I think it was kind of a um, aha moment for me as well. I grew up in an Italian home. My mother came over from Italy. I actually was with her. I was one years old. And my mother always cooked the food of her homeland. And that's what I grew up eating. I was obviously very aware of American food. I loved, you know, quote unquote, American food. But in our house, you know, it's those all those staples from the Italian kitchen, because that's what my mother um, grew up eating. That's what she knew how to cook. What happened when I did the project and when I started it, I realized, but I, I guess I always, we all kind of know this unconsciously. We just don't talk or think about it. But Immigrants from all over the world that come here do that exact same thing. Um, you know, no one's coming over from China and, you know, starting to cook, you know, meat, law, loaf and steak. They continue to make their homeland foods. And because these women did that, you know, starting all the way back from when immigration really began in this country, that's how we created this amazing, diverse food landscape that we call American food. I mean, if you think about meatballs, okay, yes, their origin is Italian and that's where the women learned how to make them. But when you go out and you have spaghetti and meatballs, I mean, you can have that at almost any restaurant. I think spaghetti and meatballs is as American as, you know, apple pie, so to speak. But the reason that is, the reason we've accepted these things into our culture is because Nobody stopped making those foods the minute they, you know, came over here into the U.S. So let's move on to the women who immigrated to the United States that are in this cookbook. What was the process of getting introductions to these 45 women? So what happened was so nice is that it really spread word of mouth. The way the whole project started was I just wanted to get my mom's written recipes written down. I'm a recipe tester by trade. Um, that's what I do for my living. I do it primarily out of my home and I love my job. Um, but I realized I didn't have any of my mom's recipes written down. None of those were standardized. And I really wanted to cherish and keep those recipes forever. You know, my mom still cooks when we go over on Sunday. So there was never like that need to learn. But then I realized that, you know, there's going to be day that my daughter wants to know how to learn, excuse me, wants to know how to make those recipes or her daughter. And, you know, my mother isn't always going to be able to cook them. So we started as a project, a family project, and I created a family cookbook. And then I had a moment that I thought, wow, I have all these friends from all over the world, many first generation kids. This is a service I could provide. This would be a fun blog. This is something I could do as a hobby. So this all started out as just a blog. So I sent an email to literally every friend I had with a first generation background. And the response was overwhelming. Everyone said, oh my goodness, I want you to cook with my mom. I want these recipes recorded. It was like a service I was providing. I was getting to learn all these authentic um, homeland foods and they were getting recorded recipes. And then they were all gonna go up on the blog so I could share them. 
Um, once the project started and my blog really took off, then word of mouth created um, the next opportunity. So I be I was cooking with the Iraqi woman, for example, and she said to me halfway through cooking, "You really need to cook with my friend Sherry. She's Persian. She makes makes the most amazing tadig. You need to know how to make that." And you know she made that introduction and and so on and so forth. So it started with friends, and then I like the last couple of women I cooked with. I didn't even know the children. It was, you know, just that word of mouth. It's so funny. I was going to ask you if these recipes were hard to get, but it seems like it was just effortless and it just happened. It just happened. And, you know, it's so funny because people will say, oh, you know, grandma's secrets or, you know, my grandma would always tell people the wrong ingredients or the wrong measurements because she didn't want anyone to make it just like her or, you know, this was secret. I didn't encounter that once. It was let me share this with you. I want you to get it perfect. We can make it again. I mean, there were times that I had to follow up because, you know, I'm in there with a pad and paper scribbling as they're throwing things in the pot. And then when I went home and recipe tested, it's like, wait a minute, was it, did this go first? Did that go first? So sometimes I'd call and say, you know, I just want to make sure I'm getting this right. And everyone was more than willing to just sit on the phone with me to make sure it was absolutely perfect. And these women were with me during the cookbook process too, because then, you know, a recipe tester has a question or a copy editor has a question. And I, I, you know, I don't know if it was luck, but I came across, you know, the most generous, you know, women I, I could have ever encountered. What's one new tip that you learned from a grandma you met along the way? Uh, maybe a life tip or a cooking tip? Well, there's a lot. Um, I feel like I learned so much in each kitchen. I learned, um, first of all, I should probably take a step back. Once I went to the first home, it was a Greek woman, Nellie in Long Island. Um, we start making her, you know, her pastizio, her, you know, her, her Greek dishes. And just by accident, I said, Hey, Nellie, why, why did you come to the U S? And she just started telling me her immigration story. And while she's telling me this story, I'm thinking about how it's similar to my mom or different or, you know, but the threads are the same. And I thought to myself, this is just as important as the recipe, because why she came here and how this all came about is so important to um, just our historical oral knowledge of all these women. So I started writing down immigration questions before I went to the next appointment because I wanted to know exactly why each woman came here. And the stories were dynamic and incredible and inspiring. And that ended up going up on the blog too. And, you know, just the fact, you know, if you think about when you go on a trip today, right, you go on TripAdvisor, you ask your mom friends, you know, you do all these different things before you head out so that when you show up at your location, destination, you're, you're, you're an expert. These women didn't have that. There was no World Wide Web. There was no, you know, cell phone uh, pictures or whatever. They just packed their bags and went. And, you know, one of the women said to me, because I said, you know, what, what made you do it? What made you get up one day and say, you know what? I'm leaving everything I know, I'm leaving my family, I'm leaving my friends, and I'm going to this mysterious place to start a new life. And she said, you know, what people from the U.S. don't realize is the U.S. is so enchanting. You know, when you're not from here and you think about the United States of America, there's a dream there. There's a dream to be had. 
And I just found that so special. And I think as Americans, it's something that we should embrace and understand that we're so lucky to be here. And it's it's why other people want to come. Um, so just just that tenacity, that courage, um, I just found so inspiring. So in Heirloom Kitchen, it's organized with a recipe, a story, and a lesson. Talk a little bit about that. You know, when I went in and I was, you know, pitching the cookbooks to all the different editors at all the different publishers, um, that was very important to me. I said, I, I understand I'm sitting here, I am proposing a cookbook to you, but I think the only way that this is really going to work and is really going to be as special as I want it to be is if we also share the woman's immigration story, because I think that's half the, half the story. And I'll tell you when I'm making the recipes, I think about the women and I think about their story. And um, I learned a whole bunch of different cooking techniques. For example, the Palestinian woman taught me how to make makluba. And makluba means, in, in Arabic, means um, upside down. <laughs> so it's this rice dish that you make in a pot. And then at the end, when it's all done, you literally flip it upside down and you take it out of the pot and you're left with this mold. And I will tell you, I made a couple that did not work. <laughs> But, you know, phone calls back and forth. We I figured out how to do it. And it's so satisfying when you turn this pot upside down and this beautiful, delicious rice dish comes out. Um, so I just think that the book is what it is because you are getting the lessons and the stories and the and the recipe all broken down for you. And, and you know, obviously um, categorized by by continent. Your mother is in this cookbook. I found it interesting that she wanted nothing to do with prepackaged frozen dinners that were the rage when we were growing up, and they were supposed to make our mom's lives easier. Yeah, I, I have the chicken pot pie story in there because I think it's quintessential immigrant mother lore. And I think that um, it's, it's it's very funny, and I think that a lot of people will also really relate to it. Yes. I mean, when we were kids, all I wanted was a Marie Callender's chicken pot pie. (laughs) I'd watch the commercial. It looked so delicious. (laughs) And, you know, why did I have to eat this Italian food every night when all I wanted was this chicken pot pie? So she relented and and, and bought it and cooked it incorrectly because she didn't read the directions. She just kind of threw it in the oven. And, you know, that was the end of our chicken pot pie. But I think for my mother and, and, and especially I can say, you know, it's hard to make generalizations, but for at least the women that I cooked with, the immigrant women that I cooked with, is they value the food that they create so much that the prepackaged, you know, ready in five minute meals, what you were saving in time didn't, it wasn't enough. It didn't, it wasn't enough for them to say, okay, you know what, forget my stuff. I'm just going to do this. And it's funny, the woman from Ghana told me that. There are times her daughter will say to her, mom, let's just, we want to take you out to eat tonight. Let's just go out. We don't want you to cook. Let's just relax. And her mom's like, no, I'd much rather eat my food. I don't need restaurant food. And I laughed when she told me that because my mom doesn't like going out to eat either. Really? Funny. (laughs) And I think it's a common thread because there's so much pride in what they're creating. um, And it does keep them tethered to their homeland, which is still so very special to them. Um, the cover of the book is my mom making tagliatelle, which is a cut, hand-cut Italian pasta. 
And I watched my grandmother make them. And, you know, obviously my mom grew up watching her mother make them. And when my mom makes tagliatelle, we think about my grandmother, who is obviously now passed. But it's just so nice to have that memory and eat food that tastes exactly like how my grandmother used to make it. The story that you told about your mom really shows that she viewed her new American identity as an extension of her Italian identity. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think when they came here, these women, right, you know, they were very brave and, you know, they learned English. And, you know, I talk about my mom getting her citizenship and going to ESL classes to become an American. That's very important to them. And they're proud to be American. But they also needed to create kind of like a safe haven. You know, um, you go out in the world, you have an accent, you're an immigrant, everyone knows that. So when you come home at night, you know, what's going to make you feel safe? What's going to make you feel comfortable? It's your food. You know, the minute you start cooking and, you know, the meatballs are bubbling or, you know, you, you have the rice cooking or whatever it is that you made back in the homeland that you're now making here, food transports you. I think it transports you to the past just as much as it gives you energy, you know, to, to catapult you into the future. I think my very favorite photo is on the inside page of the cookbook. It's the one of the hands forming either ravioli or some sort of dumpling. It's mm-hmm. fascinating how you're drawn, how I was drawn to this woman in the photo. Is that your mom? No. So that is Tina, and she is making traditional Chinese dumplings. Um, and she makes everything from scratch. And then she just sits there and, you know, pleats all these dumplings and they all look exactly the same and they're perfect. And what I love about, well, first of all, my photographer, Andrew Scrivani was just a genius and he is a genius and he, you know, does a lot of work for the times and it's because he's so wildly talented, but his whole thing was, I want to see hands, you know, this is, this is food that you make with your hands Nobody pulled out a food processor. Nobody used their KitchenAid. Um, It was rolling pins, hands, you know, mixing spoons. I mean, I had women use mixing spoons that they literally brought over from their country. (laughs) You know, they'd hold up a spoon up and say, this spoon is 45 years old. Um, But that's the food of our grandmothers, right? You know, they didn't have all these gadgets. They weren't sous vide. They weren't hot pot. So... That was very important in the cookbook to have a lot of hands. And I'm so happy that you were drawn to that photo because it is so um, tangible, right? Like you feel like you're standing right next to her while she's she's pleating these dumplings. And she told me that. So they make Chinese dumplings every new year. And what I love about the story is she said that the women would get up and, you know, they make the filling and they make hundreds of them. So all the women in the neighborhood would come together and sit down and while they're pleating the dumplings, they'd gossip. So it'd just be like a total like gossip day making all <laughs> the dumplings for dinner. On Saturday, I made the recipe for tomato sauce with meatballs on page 25. Was this your grandmother's recipe? Yes. So um, to be honest with you, it was probably my great grandmother's recipe. Um, my mother also spent a lot of time with her maternal and paternal grandmothers And they all had the same techniques to make all these different dishes. So, yes, the brodo di mamma, which is, you know, mom's tomato sauce and the polpette, which is meatballs, 
um, come from a very long line of women. And um, my mom does a couple things. My grandmother did a couple things that were different. One, as you know, she uses some of the sauce in the meatball mixture, which we feel makes them very tender. Um, and there's no like pre-frying or baking, which I know a lot of people do. These meatballs just get simmered right in the sauce, which not only does it eliminate a step, once again, we think it makes a very light and airy meatball. At the very beginning of this recipe, you steep garlic, basil, and olive oil. I feel like this is like the magical secret ingredient to this dish. Yes. By creating, I almost kind of liken it to a tea because you're infusing this olive oil at a very low temperature to kind of marry all of those delicious um, ingredients so that once you ultimately strain the garlic and the basil out, you're left with a very aromatic um, olive oil, which is the base of the sauce. And now, now my grandmother was obviously a trendsetter in her day because now you can buy so many infused olive oils. What do you tell people who see a recipe or who will see a recipe in this cookbook and think that's not how my mother makes it? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that question. And actually, if you read the very beginning of the book, um, I do address that because I think we play a lot nowadays with the word authentic. I know you probably hear that word all the time. All the time. And you know, what really is authentic? You know, how could we really put a, put it, put our finger on that? Right. So what I'm saying is these are my, my mom's meatballs. She's from Calabria. It's very similar to the way in her mom's village probably made them. But you know, when you get in the kitchen, that's your recipe and you might You might, you know, your husband might not like garlic, you know, or, you know, your son doesn't like the pinch of hot pepper flakes. So you eliminate that. So I think what I would love this book to do for people is kind of like the way I look at any cookbook or even, you know, food magazine is use it as a jumping off point. Let it stimulate in you those memories of your grandmother. So let's say, for example, you're Greek and you buy this cookbook because you want to know how to make spanikopita. And then when you get to it, you said, wait a minute, my grandmother didn't use cottage cheese. She used ricotta or whatever it is. But it gets those creative juices flowing. It gets those memories flowing. And that's what I really want this to do. I do want you to try the recipes in the book. They are phenomenal. They are delicious. Um, They're grandma's greatest hits because everyone gave me their best dishes. But don't fret if it's not just like your grandmother because your grandmother was special and she made things her way, just like these grandmothers made it their way. And um, hopefully it just creates in you that nostalgia for, um, you know, the homeland foods. Grandma's greatest hits. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I think the main sentiment in this cookbook is maintaining the culture of our origin countries was not a statement. It simply created the comfort of home in a new place. I think we all deserve the comfort of home. Absolutely. And I think whether you're cooking, you know, a recipe from, you know, Poland, or literally you're just making your kids some brownies after school, I think that that's what food does for us. You know, food is the one thing that we all have in common. You know, no matter who you are, how important, everyone has to eat, right? So it's this common thread amongst every single person on the planet. 
And it does provide comfort. When you're hungry, all you want to do, all you think about is what you're going to eat. So, you know, I know for my kids, the things that I make that they feel are very special. Or when I'm eating something at my mom's house on a Sunday that, you know, she made when I was a little kid. And I can think about those days. That's why I think the term comfort food was created, right? Because food provides comfort. Now to my segment called My Last Meal. What would you eat for your last supper? I think going on what I just said, I think my last meal would have to be something that my mom cooks for me. Because when I'm eating something that my mom made, I know that that bowl of food is not only just filled with nutrients and everything I need um, physically, there is so much there emotionally for me. And it's filled with her love and her care and everything that she wants me to have. Um, One of the women that I cooked with said, a mother is full when the children have eaten. And I think about that every day because I think that's the most important gift our mothers give us is nourishment um, and the memories of our childhood through food. Where can we find you on the web and social media? Uh, My website is annasheirloomkitchen.com. And I'm very active also on Instagram. And I'm at at Anna F. Goss. So at A-N-N-A, F as in Frank, G-A-S as in Sam, S as in Sam. Heirloom Kitchen shows us that America truly is the land of opportunity. Thanks, Anna, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thanks, Susie. This was great. Follow Susie Chase on Instagram at Cookery by the Book and subscribe at cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book podcast, the only podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.